What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming to you from the greater Montreal area, this is the Not Having It Podcast, where we talk any and all things related to the Montreal Canadiens. I'm your host, Joshua DeLorme. On this week's Not Having It podcast, I'm very excited to bring to you the first ever two-part episode. Today's part is all about the NHL draft, and later on this week, I'll be publishing the uh, second part of the episode, the second part of the show that will focused on that will be focused on free agency and the offseason, specifically for the Montreal Canadiens. For today's episode, I'm super happy to bring back friend of the show, you know him by his Twitter handle at Scrimmage and Stats, to take a deep dive into the Montreal Canadiens draft. I had him. You might remember I had him on the show before the draft to talk about you know what went into mock drafts and and certain players that might have been available for the Canadians to select at 15. In this conversation, we talk in detail about who the Canadians drafted and what expectations might be appropriate for those players in the long run. I really hope you guys enjoy that conversation, which I'm going to play for you in a little bit. Before I play that conversation, my usual friendly reminder that you are always invited to give me a follow on Twitter at JoshuaDelorme95 and to reach out to tell me what you think of the podcast. If you think I messed up, if you think I shouldn't have said what I said, if you agree with me, because you know I'm always right and you should always agree with me, you can feel free to tell me that as well. Don't forget that you can always subscribe to this podcast on Twitter. Not on Twitter, you can't listen to the podcast on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter, but you can subscribe to the podcast um, wherever find podcasts are found make sure you do that because we don't want you to miss episodes also tell your friends about this wonderful podcast while you're doing that make sure to tell your friends to check out a winninghabit.com for all the latest news editorials and any instant analysis that might be required for the montreal canadians my colleagues over there do a great job of keeping everything up to date and i'm really proud of them and you should be proud of them as well and you should check out their work so that's a winninghabit.com now Without further ado, here is my conversation with Scrimmage and Stats about the NHL Draft. And now to talk about all the things that were for the 2019 NHL Entry Draft, specifically with the Montreal Canadiens. I'm very excited and very pleased, very happy uh, to bring back a friend of the show. You've heard him on here before to talk about uh, prospects in the draft. Um, so very happy to talk draft with him. Um, you can, as always, uh, you guys know him on Twitter uh, by his Twitter handle at scrimmage and stats. He's uh, fascinating. He's great. He puts out great content, um, rookie prospect wise, video wise, and especially he does great work leading up to uh, to the draft with his with his very detailed mock drafts that uh, that I encourage all of you to check out when it comes to draft time. So without further ado, I'm very happy to bring back on front of the show, the guy behind the Twitter handle scrimmage and stats. How are you? Not bad yourself. I'm good. Thanks. Thanks again for doing this again. Oh, not a problem, dude. <laughs> um, so I don't know how much of a chance you had to 
um, review or, or kind of follow up and study on, on, on the draft and stuff like that. I know it was a whirlwind weekend for pretty much everybody that followed yeah. hockey. Um, yeah. A lot of surprises and a few uh, falls and a few reaches that we see in every year in every draft. But uh, So before I begin, I just wanted to get your, uh, before we get started on, on the Habs and stuff like that, I wanted to get your general opinion on, on the draft and, and, and stuff like that. Just in general or yeah. the Habs specifically? No, in general. I thought it was a, I thought it was a funny little draft. I think that you know, it, it could have been busier in terms of uh, player moving and whatnot, but uh, the NHL not confirming the salary cap till day two, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was not really smart. That was that was really really bad. I'm kind of happy that the the draft in Montreal next year is going to be like on the 26th and 27th. That yeah, a little have, later on. Yeah, <clears throat> that's it. They'll have way more time to to figure their stuff out. That I couldn't believe that. And apparently that held back a ridiculous amount of trades. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. I know that Bergevin had two trades. One to trade down and one to trade the pick entirely. So And it, we'll... and, and and you think they fell the one of them fell apart <clears throat> because of, of the uh one of them fell apart because of the cap? Yeah. It was um what do you call it? It's a Joel Armia kind of trade, like take a player, buy him out. Right. And right at the beginning of the draft, you saw like Kyle Dubas and and Mark Bergevin getting into a discussion, and Dubas like proposing like, "What would you think of?" You you could clearly see the lip movement. Um, and then the other one was a, a trade down scenario because the Hobbs were possibly looking at Lassie Thompson. So, right, I I had heard that. Yeah, it's uh well, Lassie Thompson uh, was first brought to uh, the folds or to the public eye by Grant McCagg who had had discussions with scouts who knew uh, the Canadians. So if uh, Cole Caulfield and Cam York, which were the, the Habs' two main draft targets, were off the board, they would have likely traded down with either uh, Ottawa or, if I'm not mistaken, Winnipeg, because I know that Winnipeg like very much wanted to get Hainala. So right. it worked out. Uh, Cole Caulfield is insane. I, I still can't <laughs> believe he dropped every day. Still can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah, I think to me it, the only reason he fell that far, he dropped that much, is because of his size. I, that's the only reason because <clears throat> well, that guy is top ten talent. Yeah, I mean, there's there's variables. I think that, um, you know, uh, Arizona trading up and picking Soderstrom yeah. was weird. Um, yeah, they well, a lot of things Arizona does is weird. Yes, yes, very much so. But they could have possibly they could have easily had him at uh, fourteen, in my opinion. Um, you know, then, uh, obviously Minnesota, Minnesota is more of a, you know, a team built on size. They already have a lot of small players on their team, Zucker, uh, Parisi, all that. So I, I get what they were trying to do there. And then, you know, LA going, uh, sorry, Florida going for the goalie. Everyone's been talking about this forever. So that made sense. So really the only pick outside of the top 10 that confused the holy hell out of me was Philadelphia going to get Cam York. Yeah, because they're already very deep on defense. Uh, specifically on left defensemen, like yeah. left-handed defensemen. They have Provorov, they have Sanheim, they have Gossesbear, we'll see for how long. They have Hag, they have uh, Myers, they have uh, Mo- uh, Samuel Morin. Uh, you know, I can keep going. And then now they add Cam York, so I think something's got to give because I-, I saw them going right defense the whole way. I thought, personally, they were going to... Uh, pick Soderstrom before Soderstrom was picked by Arizona, but uh, which, I, which I think that's why Arizona <laughs> might have moved up. I, I think I think so. I guess Soderstrom. I guess Arizona was high on Soderstrom, and they had a fear that uh, that Philadelphia was going to take him. Yeah, well, I mean, to a degree, that's the only I, thing I, that makes sense to me. I guess. Yeah, and I and I get I get it because. Uh, there was talk that Vancouver wanted to trade down as well, but when Paul Do- Pod Carlson falls to you, yeah, I mean, you they had the that, choice yeah. between Pod Carlson and Caulfield, and a lot of Vancouver fans were pissed. pissed. Well, I was I was sitting there. I was at the draft that weekend. I was in Vancouver. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> Magic. Yeah, and I was I was sitting there, and I was sitting next to a uh, next to a Canucks fan, a guy from Vancouver, and we were you know talking and and talking throughout the draft. And when when Vancouver picked Paul Cozen, his reaction was just like other shock, like what? Like they they I don't like 
un- uh, like they understand the talent, but like they weren't expecting the Canucks to go that route at all. No, I know, I know, but it to me it kind of fits what they lack. Yeah, um, they lack that size. Uh, they lack that 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 toughness, and um, you know it makes sense. The only thing that sucks is he's only going to be available in two years from now. Minimum, so, yeah, at early at the earliest. Who knows well, what I, they do. I, I think, you know, as long as his progression maintains, I, I think he'll be in the NHL in two years. Um, I would think, but you, like, yeah. I think that's what a lot, what a lot of the, well, a lot of the mumblings I heard in Vancouver from the fans on, at least, was they were worried that a Russian player wasn't going to want to come over again. <clears throat> well, I mean, it, and, it's Triakim is yeah, the only yeah. one that, yeah. Well, I, I think I that's, that. I think that's still sour in their mind. I think that's still fresh. I mean, yeah, but I. You also, when you're picking that high, like Triakam was like a fifth round pick or a yeah, fourth no, round exactly. pick. That's, yeah. When you're picking that high, you do your due diligence with the player. You make sure that he's willing to come over before you throw a pick like that at him. Yeah, uh, no absolutely. team is going to pick a player that's playing in either the MHL or the KHL without doing their homework. No. I, uh, I read on the Saturday that um, he was already on a plane back to Russia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. He didn't absolutely. stick around for, uh, he didn't stick around for dev camp. No, and I, I, he's not allowed to. Well, he could have participated off the ice. He wasn't, yeah, what's, uh, what's the and, and like, they it, were like, and the Canucks like organization wanted him there, and he's like, no, I'm out. And then the fans are like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> I was like, no, well, that's he's not contractually how it works. like, what's yeah. he going to do? Just skate solo? Like, it makes yeah, no sense like, for the guy. It go, makes absolutely home, no sense. Train yeah. and do your thing, you know. But like, at the end of the day. This is what I don't understand. This is why, like, a lot of, and especially, like, Canucks fandom, they're rather hypersensitive nowadays. Well, yeah, um, very much so. Yeah. So, I mean, chill out. He's contractually <laughs> ineligible to partake in any form of organizational camp whatsoever. Same thing uh, applies to uh, Alexander Romanov for the Canadians. Ineligible yep. to partake in any form of organized camp whatsoever. He can go there for conditioning purposes and in, in, <clears throat> as a solo individual, and that's kind of a loophole in the system, but he cannot in any way, shape, or form use that. So I found that to be pretty intriguing, if you ask me. Uh, I thought it was really cool that Paul Colson uh, left right away, but he said it. He's the moment I'm free of my contract, I'm NHL bound. And he's not, you know, you're on your ELC, you can't hold the team hostage either. So, right, yeah, you have no leverage. Vancouver's going to get a, a strong NHL-ready player when he's ready. And quite frankly, like, no player drafted, uh, I'd say, outside of the top four is going to have an immediate impact within the next year and a half to two years. Like, And exactly. I mean, like, yeah. impact in the sense of, like, 50, 60 points. I think that, you know, this top 10 is in great talent, but I think they're all going to hit their peaks in two years from now, specifically. So that's exactly when Pot calls in would come in, and Caulfield, in my opinion. You think Caulfield comes in after two years? Like he does two more years at the in the NCAA? <clears throat> well, I think yeah. He well, just two years. He was playing in the US, USA. Yeah, that's last that's. Year. I think you think he does two years. He's not going to be a one and done kind of guy. He could. Um, they could if if Montreal sees it worthy or fit, they could sign him and make him play in Laval. I don't have a problem with that. Personally, I think he's just got to get physically stronger, uh, faster. And look, you saw Ryan Paling gain 40 pounds yeah, in yeah, exactly. two years. You know, the NCAA, that's the beauty of it. Like, it's high-end competitive sport, but, like, yes, they only play 40 games a year. But Caulfield's already used to playing, like, 60-plus games a year, so it's, right. it's totally fine. He knows the condition he needs to get there. Now it's it's giving him the space for being able to grow as a player, being able to hit the gym, being able to watch a lot of tape, being able to work on his explosiveness. He's not a slow player by any means either, but like it's insane how much room to grow he still has in terms of his overall physical attributes. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that seems like a pretty smooth transition to uh, talk more specifically about the Montreal Canadiens draft um, this year. You already spoke a little bit about Cole Caulfield. Um, I don't know if you know a lot about, or if you know anything about the other guys that they took. Um, yeah, I, well, I did a little bit of research uh, after the fact. I did know J- uh, Jaden Strubel and Rhett Pitlick. Those two I did know. Um, but yeah, I, 
I definitely had to pull out the uh, I definitely had to pull out the the resources to find out what the hell happened. Uh, initially, you know, everybody was kind of underwhelmed, um, and you know, to a degree, I understand. Um, you know, a lot of these players coming in, and you kind of have an idea of who's you you're the the best you've got because you pull the consensus of other teams. Um, the one thing I did find a little alarming is how quick people were to judge this draft and be like and call it an utter failure. On a lo- I, I but kinda... on on a lot of on a lot of different uh, facets too. I mean, it wasn't just in Montreal. I walked away from Vancouver and I heard I was listening to people talk and I talked to people myself and everybody was saying that like how underwhelming of a draft it was how their team drafted poorly and i i don't understand how you can sit there on day two of the draft and say well these were absolutely terrible picks like you you have to you you have to wait at least two or three years before these players turn into Mm -hmm. anything remotely possible Mm -hmm. or anything remotely close to an nhl player i'd have to agree i mean look uh in 2012 the canadians took at every single pick a sexy player, in my opinion. They took a player that was promoted up the wazoo, uh, either by European scouting uh, teams or by North American scouting teams. Really, the only player that was kind of like a question mark turned out to be the better player, which was uh, Alex Galchenyuk. Yeah, and, um, and out of the 2012 draft, only two players have played NHL games. Absolutely. And, Galchenyuk you know, and Charles Hudon, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, Sebastian Kohlberg was able to allow Bergevin to go and get a Thomas Vanek. So this yeah. is why I always say, like, you, you, you still have to go BPA on, on situations like this. But if you look at, you know, the underlying numbers, um, Jaden Struble, <clears throat> the reason why everybody knocked him right as soon as he was drafted was because, uh, first of all, a left mobile defenseman plays with a lot of punch, uh, a lot of speed, good uh, vision, good passing, uh, has a very strong wrist shot. This guy was a physical specimen. I know Timmons loves his combine uh uh, standouts, and he definitely was the standout in terms of the combines. Um, but you know, he's also one of the youngest players in the draft. He's still 17 and doesn't turn 18 until August. Almost uh, kind of like KK last year, who was turned 18 in July. Right. It's really cool um, that he initially uh, what what caused him to kind of like falter on people's radars was because he hadn't finished high school yet. So he was going to go to the BCHL, which is where Alex Newhook played last year, uh, and play a year there before uh, then going to Northeastern University, which is where Caden Primo played and where Jordan Harris currently plays. Um, And so uh, the Canadians got involved once drafting him, uh, and they're making him take the courses in the summer so that he can be at Northeastern uh, as as soon as this fall. So that is a far more intriguing prospect for me. Uh, because of that, because here we are getting two uh, top player, two the first two picks in in, in for Montreal are going to be immediately uh, in in the mix for an NCAA team, which is great. Um, I personally had other players on the board uh, at that point that I thought could have been better. Um, I personally preferred like a Matthew Robinson <clears throat> at that point. Uh, I also preferred uh, a guy like Kolyachinuk at that point. But again, uh, kind of looking at the style that the Canadians were coveting, the uh, key performance indexes that they had created for themselves, uh, Jaden Struble fits every single one of those boxes after listening to Trevor Timmons, uh, who was looking to get speed, intensity, uh, puck moving, and strong possession play. Um, you know, we all kind of scratched our heads last year with Romanov for that exact reason. Uh, but just watching Struble. Um, just for a bit uh, this year, and then watching him at development camp, um, this guy, by all intents and purposes, projects to be a top four defenseman. So you got to hand it to the Canadians. It's not the sexiest of picks, but it's most definitely one with insane amount of upside. So I I like the, what I see from Struble. Uh, and again, he's probably, out of everybody in the draft right now, he's probably got the largest amount of growth potential out of everyone, seeing as he's so... Uh, raw as a prospect playing in, in high school hockey uh, and so young as well. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think every time a Canadian, when the Canadians, especially in the fan base here, every time they pick a player, it's like they're picking them out of high school. Some fans start to question yeah. very quickly. 
Um, well, but by all intents and purposes, everything I've read and seen about this player, like you said, this guy to me screams top four potential left-handed the left-handed defenseman um, can be an can develop to be an impact player in the league. If of course everything goes as planned and and he develops like the team expects him to, but right now everything's like everybody was up in arms over Jaden Struble, and while it looks like if if things work out the way that it will, this guy is going to be a top four defenseman in the league one day. Yeah, well, I mean, last year um, when the Canadians picked Jordan Harris out of high school, um, everybody kind of was like, "Oh, what a wasted third round pick." There were better players around that that spot. No one is questioning the Jordan Harris pick today. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Uh, well, it was the same thing. It was the same cap. thing when when they drafted Romanov last year in the second round. Yeah. Everybody, nobody knew who this kid was, and everybody was like, "Okay, this guy's going to be a bad player." Right now, and now everybody talks about Romanov like he's the second coming of uh, Chris Chelios or something. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, you want to go as far back. Timmins is not afraid to pick players out of high school. Yeah, no. or just right off the bat, um, and he did it back to back in 2006 and 2007, where he picked. Uh, one end of the spectrum, complete and utter failure, David Fisher in the first round. Uh, and then the year after goes right back to, to high school with the 12th overall pick and takes Ryan McDonough. So, uh, you know, there's there's challenges there, uh, but it definitely shows you that uh, players that excel at that level will generally uh, come out on top when they reach the NCAA, especially if they have the kind of growth potential that, you know, a guy like McDonough had. Um and just to give you an idea, McDonough was no offensive powerhouse in uh, high school either. Struble actually outperformed him by a considerable amount at a younger age. So it's it's not out of the question that this guy can be a bona fide, you know, two-way top four defenseman that is able to control the play. So I really, really like Struble's upside. Um, and I think that everybody should very much give him a chance because he just he looks like he's made uh, to play the modern day NHL game. Yeah. Any other prospect that they drafted in the in this year's draft really stand out to you? Um, as a positive yeah, or as I a mean, negative, absolutely. whether it's a surprise or not. Absolutely. There's there's a ton. I mean, like I said, when I look back at this draft and I look at the advanced metrics for the players that were measurable, um, Struble was through the roof. Obviously, everyone knows about Cole Caulfield. I, I won't have to get into that. I don't need to sell anybody on Cole Caulfield anymore. <laughs> No, I think they're uh, already. A, I think they're already planning the retirement jersey ceremony. Exactly. <laughs> um, if you look at a guy like, um, I'll give you an example, Johnny Fairbrother. Um, you know, a lot of people look at his numbers and you know, not exactly scream impressive, which is totally okay. But bear in mind that his numbers were were better than Josh Brook at the same age. And Josh Brook is perceived by many as a surefire top four defenseman that absolutely wowed everybody uh, last year and this summer at development camp. What I really like about Fairbrother is he's got the NHL size, in my opinion. He's six foot, almost already 200 pounds as a 18, almost 19 year old. Uh, so he's definitely not far away. He's got one more year of junior eligibility left. Uh, his offensive numbers aren't overly impressive off basis. But we also have to remember that he played for the Everett Silvertips. Uh, for anybody who doesn't remember Everett, uh, Noah Yolson played there, and he didn't exactly like explode offensively. No one really does when they play for the Silvertips. Neither did uh, Nikita Sherbach, by comparison. Uh, Everett is notoriously defensive as an organization. Uh, think like how we perceived the Devils, uh, you know, before Marte Brodeur decided to try out in St. Louis. It's very much that. Uh, and the fact that he was able to score 10 goals and get 26 assists for 36 points out of, in 64 games showed that he had that offensive potential. But what's what's really good about Fairbrother, and I think a lot of people saw it at the development camp, his shots hit net 99% uh, of the time. He is like the total opposite of a Craig Rive, for those of us <laughs> that are old enough to remember him. Craig Rive could not get a shot on net to save his life. And I feel like Johnny Fairbrother... His his puck, every time he hits it, it's like a golden snitch. It just finds its way through traffic, and it always seems to hit net. He's got a great wrist shot. He's got an even more impressive slap shot. Uh, very mobile. Uh, some people had him in the late second round on their board. Some people had him in the mid-second round because they really thought that this guy was a diamond in the rough. And really, the Canadians were able to zone in on this guy 
mainly because they had scouts in the WHL, yes, but they invited him to their private combine in Brossard, uh, and that's when when they took him on the ice. They, he just blew them away with his skating uh, and his ability to join the rush uh, and also command a blue line. So I found that to be really intriguing as a pick. Um, one that r- absolutely blew my mind uh, because it went from utter and complete um, anger to like jovial content uh, was Matthias Norlander. Yeah. Um, so for anybody who didn't remember, the Canadians had two second round picks going into the draft, uh, 46 and 50, 50th acquired in the uh, Pacioretty deal, which included also Suzuki and Tatar. Um, now, the second round pick in question was traded to L.A., who was essentially trading up from the 64th position um, to pick at 50. Uh, the Canadians were given a fifth round pick, the uh, 126th pick uh, in the draft, uh, and then essentially went on at 64 to pick uh, Matthias Norlander. Now, there were other defensemen that went right before 64. Uh, Samuel Bolzuk uh, comes to mind uh, from the the Armada, which I th- I think was one of their uh, their targets as well. But from what all from what I've heard from European scouts uh, and from guys that I know um, have watched this guy more than you know a handful of times, uh, Matthias Norlander in Sweden uh, is seen as a surefire top four defenseman in the NHL. Now, I don't personally uh, always believe that hype because there is this idea that they always kind of promote their own players. Like in Finland, they all believe that Kako Kapo was going first overall from day one uh, and were like heartbroken at the draft. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that. But a lot of North American scouts see uh, Norlander as a late-blooming top four, uh, and, and late-blooming in, in problem quotations here, uh, top four defenseman. Uh, the only reason this guy went undrafted last year was simply because he got injured last year uh, and was not eligible for the draft. We've seen this before with with, uh, with Vejdemo, uh, Vejdemo, sorry, who's playing in Laval as we speak uh, and, and had, a, you know, had a monster second half of the season. And he came, in, he came back... And really was a force uh, in Sweden when he came back from his injury. Uh, Norlander, um, that on steroids, he essentially went from being part of the second division junior team to getting a promotion to the men's team in the second division and winding up at the end of the season on the first pairing. Uh, so that is, in my opinion, pretty impressive, especially for a 19-year-old. Um, you know, unless you're like a top 10, 15 first round uh, pick uh, being a top pairing defenseman in the uh, in the Elsvenson is not something that happens often. Like Broberg was kind of a you know a top pair defenseman. Uh, Soderstrom, same concept. You know they they kind of did what they had to do. Uh, obviously in, in various leagues, there's a Swedish uh, hockey league, formerly the Swedish Elite League, and then there's the Elsvenson. So it's, it's a little different. Um, but if you look at his offensive ability, if you look at his puck moving, if you look at his speed. Um, it is just beautiful to watch, just smooth. It's like he's skating through butter. Um, he's got good passing. He doesn't have a killer shot. Uh, he's very good with his uh, wrist shot and the slap passes, but his slap shot, uh, he's obviously not going to be as strong as, say, like a fair brother uh, in that department. But Matthias Norlander is very much that new age, like puck-moving defenseman. He's a zone entry machine, very easily is able to take the puck from his end to the other end. And I find this is an aspect that the Montreal Canadiens organizationally lack. We saw it last year where only two defensemen could successfully bring the puck from the defensive end to the offensive end in, in Victor Mete and Jeff Petrie. Uh, but if the puck was on, you know, Jordy Ben stick or Brett Kulak stick. There's, uh, there's no puck carriers on that team outside of those two players. Exactly. Now they have Josh Brook coming up, who's a, who's a puck carrier. Now they have. You think Josh Brook is playing this year? I think he's going to get a few games this year. Yeah. Coming out of training camp to see what they can give him? No, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't think he's going to make the team out of camp, personally. I think that Josh Brook is the type of defenseman that when injury strikes, they'll call him up if he's had a good season in the American Hockey League. Uh, I think Fleury deserves a call up first. Uh, But I think they're, you know, once they, if the Canadians are where I think they're going to be next year, uh, which is in the playoffs, um, I think towards the end of the season, they might be handing out candies to their younger players for a, a, a good, hard uh, development season in the American Hockey League. So you might see guys like Josh Brook or Kale Flurry get in a game or two. Um, knock on wood in case there's any injuries. 
uh, they'll be there earlier, but I sincerely uh, hope not. This is the reason why I think a Matthias Norlander on the on the left hand side, and you know a, J- a Jaden Struble and a Johnny Fairbrother, those are three realistic shots uh, at being either a number two or a number uh, sorry a second or third pair left defenseman, uh, with Romanov looking like a surefire top four. So that's insane depth prospect wise. Obviously, you don't have the bona fide top pairing left D on this uh, at this point, but there's only one guy in this entire draft that was that and he was picked fourth overall so you weren't going to get any of this in the second round the the, the quality that the canadians got at, at you know their second third and fourth picks really threw me uh threw me off guard you know maybe 24 hours after the draft um during the draft though there was one player that had me jumping up and down when the canadians picked him he was this year's version of alan mcshane for me last year uh, and his name is Rhett Pitlick. And anybody who watched the development camp fell in love Out with him. Out of Minnesota guy. High School, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it, for me, Pitlick is exactly... Uh, he reminds me of a clone of Paul Byron. It's just... It's, it's, it's insane. Great goal-scoring ability. Great speed. Good vision. Uh, very good at taking away pucks from players. Um... He was able to, during, uh, if you watch games of him, if you watch clips of him, he's easily able to, to just pickpocket players on the rush and immediately go uh, and hit, the, uh, you know, hit the, the, the afterburner, and boom, he's essentially just gone on a breakaway. He, for me, this is the kind of boomer bust pick that I can see making the NHL. Um, he is going to the Omaha Lancers this season, uh, and then he's going to the University of Minnesota next season. So the Canadians can take their time with this guy uh, because he, for all intents and purposes, only seems like he's going to start his NHL career, his NCAA career next year, which means that they have five years to sign him before he, they, his rights go away. Personally, I don't think it's going to take more than two years to see this guy signed to a contract and eventually make his way to Laval. But anybody who saw him play, you know, the this week in development camp, uh, this this guy was ranked in the second round by virtually everybody, uh, and the fact that he fell to the fifth round for me, uh, you know, I thought it was great value. I thought that the Canadians did a really really good job uh, in making inviting him to their combine and finding that one of, the, in my opinion, one of the ten best pure skaters in this draft. What did you think of the uh, of Dev Camp this week? Uh, I thought it was, I've, I've watched maybe, I don't know, maybe 20 dev camps in, in my time. And this has to be the one that was filled with the most amount of skill, top to bottom. Uh, and I say that with confidence because, well, we hadn't, the last maybe six years weren't exactly insane. Last year was good. but Well, they've you know, done it really, in the last two years, three years, in the last three years, they've done a really good job draft-wise of replenishing their cupboards. I mean, yeah. I I look back. I mean, then the, like I look at the 2016 draft. Um, you've got two players. You got Mete and Sergeyev that may, that have played in the NHL. 2015, all you have is Juleson, and 2014, it's Sherback and Learnout. Uh, 2013 was like rough for them. 2012 was like they've had some pretty big hitter hits and miss uh, pretty big misses in the drafts in the last five or six years. That. Yeah that really haven't helped them uh replenish their their prospects i mean i mean misses in like in the second round in the sense of like uh, i mean you look at i just look at the, yeah exactly and and it's just um the the prospects the prospect depth hasn't been there for a few years and well, now yeah. i mean going back to just 20 the 2017 draft i mean they pulled out paling brook uh, flurry and primo those are the three four names that popped to mind really quickly yeah already uh, already playing pro already signed. already yeah, already signed and playing pro and then you go oh. to last year and that was a great draft last year and then the same like uh, on similar accounts for this year's draft well look i mean i can if if Yoni Aikinen can come over next uh, next year uh, and sign a contract to the Canadians, I think the 2017 draft uh, will probably go down as one of the better drafts in the last 20 years for the Canadians. Uh, I don't think there's a doubt in my mind. I think the 2018 draft, you know, remove Kodkiniemi from the equation because 
quite frankly, if the Canadians would have screwed up a third overall pick at this point, I would have been really sad. But uh, if you look <laughs> at the quality... I would have been quality, more than sad. Yeah, well, if you look at the quality depth they got, I don't think anybody doubts that Jesse Alonen is going to, at one point, play a role in the in, in the NHL. I think that it's, it's, it's incredibly evident that his talent uh, is kind of made for the new NHL. Uh, Alexander Romanov, same concept. Jordan Harris uh, looks like a dark horse guy to... to potentially become a top four defenseman on the left side. He's already been invited to the Team USA's camp uh, for the first time in his career. Uh, has he been invited to a, a USA uh, international camp? So clearly he's turned enough heads in Northeastern. Um, you know, you look at uh, Cole Fonstad, also with Alan McShane, invited to Team Canada's uh, camp this summer. Uh, you know, Fonstad didn't have the craziest playoffs, but he was also, like, mega injured. Um and he had a really good Memorial Cup. So, I mean, those two guys, again, late round kind of boomer bust players that we haven't seen the Canadians kind of roll the dice on in the past. Like if you look at, I don't know, the 2015 draft, um, you know, or sorry, 20, 2014 draft, you're picking in the fifth round, uh, Coberstein, Odette, sixth round was hockey and seventh round was Evans. And really the biggest boomer bust out of those, all of those was Jake Evans. And he's the one. Uh, that has the most realistic shot of playing in the NHL. So it, yeah. it, I like the way they're going with it. What I enjoyed about the 2019 draft, uh, and I said this uh, on multiple occasions, they had a very weak class after the fourth round. For me, like at the end of the third round, that was it for the 2000, late 2000s and 2001 class for me. Uh, I didn't think that there was much crazy talent available. There was maybe... Marshall Warren, who fell to the sixth round, uh, that played for the U.S. national team, that confused the hell out of me. But other than that, I kind of agreed of all the players that were slipping. So what I enjoyed from the Canadians was, in the fifth round, uh, they go and get uh, Frederick Dichonison from Denmark. And I found this to be an intriguing pick for a goalie because Dustin Wolf, who finished second in Goaltender of the Year awards uh, in the WHL this year, uh, beaten out by uh, Toronto's Ian Scott, was still available and was still available, I think, till the seventh round, till Calgary picked him up. I, I thought that this was an out-of-this-world kind of pick because he wasn't ranked at all. No one knew about him on the draft floor. There were more who's here than I've heard a long time at a draft. Uh, and what's interesting is junior teams seem to be aware of him because he was just recently drafted uh, three or four days ago, three days ago, uh, in the CHL import draft by the Sudbury Wolves. Um, so that's pretty interesting that he can possibly come over and play in North America as soon as this year, uh, if he's not able to get a starting job. Uh, I believe he's going to uh, the Swedish Elite League, uh, the Swedish Hockey League, but he's going to play for their junior level uh, going into this season. So playing out of Denmark didn't really have uh, much coverage on him, uh, but the the North, uh, the sorry, the European scouts. Uh, were quite high on him, uh, and apparently the junior teams had gotten a whiff that this guy could possibly be interested in coming to North America. So if he does wind up playing in the OHL, uh, I think you guys are going to see a, a a very athletic goalie from what I've from what I've heard from what I've seen. Pretty big uh, kid too. Yeah, six five. Uh, that's that was the main knock on Dustin Wolf, by the way, because he was five eleven, six foot, which is considered small for a goalie in, in modern day NHL like you don't see a Vesna winning goalie under 62 nowadays um I like what I saw uh, he's got great lateral movement he's very strong on his skates uh, this is a guy who can cover the net and quite frankly I'm uh I'm not very shy to say that I have confidence in the Canadians ability to draft goalies and to uh, develop them yeah. to, to develop them there was only one that was dead on arrival for me and that was Zach Fucale and mainly because he yeah. just played on a powerhouse team yeah, in Halifax. Exactly. Uh, so if they got this guy to come over to their European combine and they were able to test him and they were able to take that data and compare it with, with uh, I was going to say Doug Waite, well, with their goalie coach and their staff, they were going to be able to, they were going um, to be able to, to, to find a goalie in this draft that could potentially come in uh, and play pro for them within the next you know, two to four years. So I, I kind of like this 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 pick as well, and then what I found really interesting was the two following picks. So uh, bear with me, uh, Arsen Kisamudinov, 
Yeah, I got it on like the 70th shot, guys. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's a lot better than I would have done. Yeah. So this guy <laughs> is not your typical draft player. So what I like about this is the Canadians utilized the CBA, utilized the draft to get ahead on possible KHL free agency signings. This is intriguing here because he scored over a goal per game at the age of 20 to 21 in the, v, uh, the MHL, uh, which is the minor league for the KHL. That was so impressive that he was called up to the KHL and he still put up five points in nine games. Uh, so he's got uh, a legit shot at a KHL position. And many in, in Russia see him as this late-blooming uh, scoring machine because he is very much that. He's a goal scorer, good size at 6'3", good speed, uh, can play either wing position. Um, and the Canadians invited him as well to the development camp. And it, I think it became... Uh, extremely evident to individuals that he will more than likely be the kind of guy the teams will target uh, once he turns 22, so next year, um, as, a, as an unrestricted free agent. So for those that don't understand this strategy, just very simple, uh, in the collective bargaining agreement to the NHL, you can only sign a player that was drafted out of Europe or undrafted but plays in Europe uh, as of the age of 22, unless you were the team that picked that player. So, for example, I'll give you a, a direct example. The Habs can sign Jesse Alonen at any time they want. But the Canadians invited Otto Leskin into their camp last year at the age of 21 and could not sign him till this summer because he turned 22. Uh, right. So the Canadians drafting this kid are essentially ensuring that they have his rights for the next four years and can easily just then sign him to come over to North America, because if he wants to go to the NHL, the only way he can do that is via the Canadians. So I, I thought that was extremely smart from the Canadians. Um, and then the pick following was exactly the same thing uh, in Rafael Harvey-Pinard. And if anybody doesn't know this kid, um, I suggest you you get familiar. Uh, this is, for me, another Joel Teasdale-esque kind of player. Uh, deceptive speed. Uh, he, in my opinion, should have probably been drafted last year. I thought he had a great season last year, 76 points in 67 games for the Huskies while being over a point per game in the playoffs. This year, uh, as a 20-year-old, he wasn't an overager, just, just so we're clear. He's an overager in the draft, but he wasn't an overager in the queue. And he put up 85 points, 40 goals in 66 games for the, for the Huskies. Obviously, that's unimpressive. When you look at the fact that their leading scorer had like 120 points uh, in Peter Abandonado. But again, he's a year younger than Abandonado and he had better numbers than Abandonado at the same age at all at all points. And easily above a point per game, he was right behind, if I'm not mistaken, he was right behind Joel Teasdale. He finished second in QMJHL scoring or third uh, with 27 points in 20 games. Uh, he's not big, 5'9", uh, 170 pounds, but what he doesn't have in size, he makes up in heart which is obviously becoming a, uh, a trend, a motto in the NHL nowadays. But he's, I don't know if anybody got the chance, anybody who did get the chance to watch him during the development camp will probably be nodding their head right now, but this guy has speed and hands to burn. Uh, what I like about him is he's not afraid to go to the net. Uh, he's very good at coming down the wing fast and cutting down into the middle, into the slot for a good scoring chance. And he's very hard, even for the big and mobile defensemen, to stop, so he's beaten guys like Josh Brook uh, on the rush and development camp. I like the way he played against top defensemen in the queue. Uh, he was blowing by guys like Jared McIsaac, uh, Pierre Olivier Joseph um, in the queue, who are you know very highly uh, touted. Uh, so much so that I remember Noah Dobson saying that he would never want to be in a one-on-one -on -one with his captain because he didn't know if he could stop him. And we're talking about probably the best defenseman in the CHL this year. Sorry, Edmonton fans. <laughs> so for me, it, it, it was a money pick. And this pick essentially means that the Canadians have ownership over his rights until the unrestricted free agent period, until like June. So teams will not be able to sign him as an overager. And to be completely honest with you guys, uh, I don't even think he's going to make it to the queue this year. I think that there's gonna, he's going to have a very good rookie camp and there's going to be pressure from Joel Bouchard to try and get this guy to Laval as soon as this this fall. Interesting. Yeah, yeah like I said, I, this draft for me is just it's um, 
let's see here. It's very um, underwhelming at first, but when you actually look at how they went about and picked their players and why they did it, I found this to be one of the more intelligent drafts from the Hobbs in a while. Yeah, no, I think I think like I said earlier, a lot of people were underwhelmed by it, and and as time goes by, and as they actually spend time getting to know the prospects and and understanding what kind of players they are, instead of just looking at their name and saying, well, this guy's supposed to be better, um, they, I think the I think Habs fans are going to be very, uh, I think they're going to be very satisfied with this year's draft um, because they the Canadians really, especially in the early rounds, they addressed needs, but also by doing what they would consider best player available. They, like, yeah, well, they, they didn't do like, they weren't reaching to address like needs on left-hand defensemen or stuff like that, or goal scoring forward. It was, we're going to go with best player available, but let's also look at, we'll look at that. In fact, the best player available in our minds is actually something that fits our need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Canadians were lucky in the sense that, and, and this is a conversation I liked having with folks. Going into this draft, everybody was saying that there was a lack of elite defensive talent. And essentially, Steve Eiserman pretty much said, hold my beer, yeah. and drafted more at Cider 6th overall. <laughs> that, was, um, uh, that was shock all over the place. Well, I was considered to be one of the more, um, I'd say, temperate guys on, on Cider. I had him at 11. Uh, so when I saw him go to 6th overall, well the gears started working in my mind because that meant, well, wait a second. If, if, if guys like him, uh, are going at six, who's going to fall. And then you start seeing, you know, at seven, uh, Buffalo ends up taking Dylan cousins. Excellent pick in my mind. I thought that Detroit was going to go and pick Dylan cousins mainly because of their need on, uh, at, at center beyond Dylan Larkin. If they think that Athanasiu is going to be, um the option later on then you look at you start going down the draft and it's edmonton going with broberg that absolutely blew my mind i that really i found yeah for me broberg at 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 the end of the day if they wanted a defenseman i think edmonton should have traded down here mainly because the quality of forward that they left off the board like if i have to if i have to uh, assess Pod Colson and Trevor Zegers, and even to a degree, Matt Boldy, to Broberg, I would have picked the three forwards first, uh, without question. I think really? that Edmonton picked based on need here. Uh, a lot of people will say, well, oh, you know, Broberg, you can't go wrong with this. Uh, you know, such good uh, quality uh, scoring. Uh, he's just got everything that they need to, to really do damage later on. The only way that Broberg is going to play on a top pair, in my opinion, is because he's be playing with a less mobile a partner in an Evan Bouchard. That's the way. I, that's why I see their vision. Obviously, it's it's Ken Holland. Uh, Ken, we all know Ken Holland likes the Swedish defenseman. He's kind of made a career out he's of. He's got it. a good history with him too. Yeah, um, you know, one of them captained his team to a cup. Yeah. Um, but besides the obvious, I just I found that to be a little weird. Um, Trevor Zegers going to the Ducks, money pick, incredible value. I had the guy ranked at fourth overall in my mock draft. Uh, I think he's probably going to be the third best player in out of the U.S. national development team. Um, Pod Colson, uh, we talked about at the beginning. I think that was a great pick for Vancouver. Obviously, uh, Vancouver fans will be like, "This is bullshit," but. Um, you know, you guys also thought that Elias Peterson was nothing big at fifth overall and thought that he was the second coming of Gretzky a year later. So <laughs> Vancouver fans are also very impulsive and very my emotional. Boys, yeah. And and on a lot of it's just it's a little it's ridiculous. I mean, I understand it's, it's, it's been a rocky road. I understand their franchise. Rocky road. I mean, come on. They are their franchise. They've struggled over the past few years, but it's not like this franchise has been stagnant in terribleness for the past 20 years. Oh, absolutely not. I think that if they, if, if they get a nice big fish on defense, like if they get Tyler Myers at a decent price, uh, and everybody stays healthy. Yeah. I think they have a realistic shot in the West. I think they, they really do. I think, you know, an extra year of Pedersen, uh, Horvat, uh, you know, we'll see, uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens with their uh, young American goal scorer uh, when it comes to his contract renewal. 
you have Quinn Hughes coming in now. Ole Olevi is back to 100%, so he might crack the lineup as well. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts here. So I, I really like what I'm seeing from, from Vancouver. So Pot Colson is going to be able to come into the lineup ready to go uh, in 2021, yeah. and no one's going to bat nine. No one's even going to remember that it took him two years to get there. Uh, and no one's going to gonna- care. No one's going to care. Uh, you essentially got a six foot two version of Gallagher. Like, just just go home and be happy, guys. It's insane. <laughs> and then, you know, after that, you see a Victor Soderstrom going 11, a Cam York going 14. Not many people had them that high by that point at the draft. A lot of forwards had gone past them. So it made it so that guys like Krebs, Newhook, and Caulfield all fell to 15. Um, I'm yeah, going to be honest. We saw, we, saw, we saw a run on defensemen. Yeah, um, you see this every draft. Yeah, every single draft except last year. Last year it was centers. Last year you had Ty Delandria going 13th overall. He was ranked yeah. in the 20s. Yeah. Uh, Jim O'Brien was ranked in like the mid second rounds. Uh, Liam Foody was dra- was end of first, early second. So this year was the other way around with defensemen, and and there were a lot more defensemen picked in the second round than initially thought. That's why you had guys like Bobby Brink. Uh, Afanasev, uh, you had guys like Rafael Lavoie all dropping out of the first round. Kaliev, uh, yeah. Kaliev, yeah. Yeah, Kaliev. Kaliev, oh dear. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you look at you look at players that, that fell, you look at quality players, you look at players that teams should pick. In, terms, in my honest opinion, the biggest value picks in this draft are Trevor Zegers, Cole Caulfield, Alex Newhook, Peyton Krebs. Um, you look at a guy like, um, you know, uh, Ryan Suzuki uh, at 28. That to me is, is is grand larceny by the Carolina Hurricanes. That was that was phenomenal. Uh, I really liked what they did there. Uh, and if you go into the into the second round, the New York Rangers picking Matthew Robertson at 49th overall, uh, utter steal in my mind. I think that was phenomenal. Uh, for for the the Rangers, who probably at this point I I'd argue have top five, at least top five best defensive and overall prospect pool in the NHL. Um, there are just incredible amounts of players that that, that created value. But again, the rush for defensemen uh, in the first two rounds uh, was extremely notable and quite surprising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, any last thoughts on this on this year's draft before I let you go? And uh, again, thank you very much for uh, for all the oh, time you've given us today. It's a pleasure. I think um, I think the Canadians fans need to appreciate Caulfield. I think that they got one of the best purest goal scorers to come out of a draft in a long time. Um, I think that people should also chill on on bashing Bergevin for. Uh, trying to go defensive heavy when there were other players available. I also, you know, had to deal with a lot of the, well, you had a bunch of local kids that were available. Oh, oh um, my God, don't even get me started on that. Well, I mean, look, I discount them on the simple, on the simple fact that the Canadians are, a, are now part of this new wave of NHL clubs that are drafting on, based on speed and skill. Uh, and I don't find that any of them met that, uh, any of them met those criteria, but Zuck is not fast or skilled by by default. Uh, Nathan Legare, the biggest knock on him is his skating. Uh, Bocage consistently again, eh, skater. So there's a lot of players that the Canadians passed up on that are local boys that I I I, under, I totally understand. Uh, one thing that they did do, and I found that really cool, two years in a row, uh, and this is why I want to you make this my final point. They got two extra picks for next year's draft, an extra fourth and an extra fifth again, just like they did last year where they got two extra picks for this past draft. Uh, I like the way that the Canadians are able to kind of look at the later part of a board, analyze what's available, and then think, mm, you know, we think next we'll year might be a deeper class. Yeah. yeah, they might. And next year is 100% mm-hmm. a deeper class. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not even comparable. Yeah. Like there are... And, it, you know, if, if there is like a, a, a petition to draft a local boy next year in Montreal because the draft's in Montreal, it's next year. There are at least four players from the QMJHL that will go in the first round, if not six. And from my count already, um, there's just going to be a very good overall draft. 
Uh, and, you know, we were talking about, uh, we were joking around thinking, oh, well, wouldn't it be funny if the Canadians were able to get an extra first round pick? Um, <laughs> I don't know, guys. It's not that it's not that funny of an idea when you think of a guy like Yilson, Fleury or, or Brooke potentially flourishing into a top four role this year. Um, would that make Jeff Petrie expendable? Would yeah. that create the option for another first round pick in an extremely deep class? So. I keep uh, I invite everybody to you know keep it posted, keep following what's going on. Um, the only thing I'd like to to leave uh, on in terms of a note here, uh, notwithstanding the draft, uh, this has been an extremely uh, humbling time for Mark Bergevin as a GM, with Galchenyuk getting traded, uh, yeah. with Subban getting traded, with Pacioretty being on the block. Uh, you know, I think that you know David Schlemko getting bought out. I think that you know the the damage has been reversed. I think the Canadians are on a very good path. Uh, and I think that this draft helped cement that. And I think that going forward, uh, they should be excellent uh, in terms of what it is they want to do. So next year, they can draft literally best player available at any position because organizationally speaking, I think they're pretty much set everywhere. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thanks again for joining me. And uh, hey, buddy, anytime you want to come back on, just reach out and we'll uh, we'll organize it. And uh, anytime you want to uh, plug your own stuff that you do, you're always welcome on the show. And uh, thanks again for uh, for joining me to talk about the draft. It's a pleasure, man. I'll keep you posted for sure. And uh, looking forward to seeing what's going on tomorrow because there's yeah. a lot of movement. Tomorrow is going to be a big day. Tomorrow, I think we can. I think we might see some more trades today as we lead into tomorrow. And tomorrow is going to yeah. be a big day. NH, yeah. uh, Elliot Friedman just released that the Canadians are hot on uh, uh, Anders Lee's trail, just in case things don't work out with Duchesne. So there's going to be movement tomorrow, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be there's a lot of there's a lot of things here going on in the next 24 to 48 hours. It's going to be fascinating stuff, and that's why we love this time of the year for the NHL. Thanks again for joining me. Have a great summer, and we'll talk soon. So that was my conversation with uh, the guy behind Scrimmage and Stats Twitter account. I hope you guys enjoyed it, where we talked uh, a lot about the NHL draft and prospects and stuff like that. I really enjoyed having that conversation with him. I always really enjoy having him on the show, and uh, we'll definitely look to do that again in the future at some point. So that's it for today. That's it for uh, this episode. As you guys realize, that conversation was recorded um, on Sunday, uh, the 30th and uh, the, just the day before uh, before free agency. And so later on this week, um, I will have um, the other next part of this episode where I'm going to talk about the free agency. All that went down there. I'm really excited to see what unfolds and uh, what uh, what might come out of that. And so that'll be, uh, that'll be on later on this week. So make sure to uh, keep an eye out for that. And until next time, please don't forget, always remember to go out and check out awinninghabit.com. Follow me on Twitter at joshuadalorm95. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, 
making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.